Welcome to Come and Reason Sabbath School. I am more than delighted to see everybody here. I'm Linda Ojala. I'm covering for Tim Jennings today, who is in England, spreading the news. So we're happy about that, but we miss him. And uh, we need to give prayers that everything will go well there and here. So let's bow our head in prayer and get started. Dear Father, we are so grateful to have a free freedom to worship you, freedom to gather, freedom to decide whether or not we're going to love you, whether or not we're going to obey you. You have given us ultimate freedom. And today, as we talk about the freedom you give us and the things, the gifts and so on that you give us to prepare us for your soon coming, we pray that you will fill this room, fill our hearts with your Holy Spirit. Teach us what you'd like to know us to know today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is the second quarter of 2018 called Preparation for the End Time, God's Seal or the Beast's Mark. So looking at our memory text on the, uh, this will be Lesson 11, um, the memory text says from Revelation 15.3, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are they... Uh, is thy, are thy ways, thou king of saints. This begins the song of Moses and the Lamb. These are sung, this is sung in heaven by those who've gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over the mark and over the number of his name. So that's the way the Sabbath school starts out. People are already in heaven. We're not quite there yet, so let's talk about it. I mean, my focus really is to try to find out how to receive the seal of God. It's good to know about the mark of the beast, and there's a lot of ideas about what that is uh, exactly. We can kind of touch base on that. But my focus is really about God's seal today. Um, you know, I read the Bible, I just read it through, and then when I get done, I read it through again. I don't have any kind of timetable, I don't know how long it takes, I just do. Every time I go through the Bible, I feel as if sometimes I have never read certain passages before. I'll go, I cannot, you know, I don't ever remember reading this before. And I know I have, because I read the same book over and over. And yet, the Bible is active, living, sharper than any two-edged sword, and I think scalpel. (laughs) You know, it goes deep, and it hits you right where you need it. Each and every time, it's a different experience with God. I think that's why Satan tries so hard to keep us from reading the Bible. Read anything else. And I don't mean that to say anything bad about books that people write that can guide you in the way. Even one of our church founders, Ellen White, said, you know, my job is to point you to God, to the Bible. If people were really having an experience with God and reading their Bible, they wouldn't need anything she has to say necessarily. But I do appreciate her and that I feel like she in many cases, draws back the curtain and shows you behind the scenes. Like Job is one of the books in the Bible where you get the the Bible pulls back the curtain and you can see what's going on behind the scenes. But there's a lot of the Bible that you could really misinterpret if you didn't have some kind of insight into why God would do what he did in certain circumstances. You could come away with a really wrong opinion of God. And unfortunately, so many have. And that's one reason we have a ministry today specifically towards what is the character of God as shown by Jesus and throughout the Bible. And to do so, you have to look at the Bible more like a jigsaw puzzle. 
pieces all spread everywhere. If you took just one verse and went with it, you could come up with a totally wrong idea of what God's expectations like or what he wants. But God intends for you, and I think he did it this way, to encourage you to read the whole Bible. Not just your favorite parts, not just the Psalms and the New Testament, or maybe avoid revelation and anything mysterious, but, you know, the easy parts. But read the whole thing. You will really be surprised that after a while, as you start reading it, one thing will start connecting to another, will start connecting to another. And it's only when you have that fuller picture, you come away with a, a more complete idea of what God had in mind about any particular subject. So... I encourage everybody to just pull out the Bible and start reading it. The more you do, the more you'll enjoy it. I was retired for all of six months, (laughs) and then I started back work again. But during those six months, one of the things that really surprised me was how much I started enjoying reading the Bible even more. I had to tear myself away. You know, I started, it was almost like I was being pulled into the stories. It was almost like I was there, and one idea would remind me of another, and things started connecting. And I hadn't really had as much of that experience before until I really devoted some more time to doing it. So I see the value. There's a real value in, you know, really studying, not just a little word here and there, but just really sit down and study for a little bit. Look how much time we spend doing other things. You know, we don't have to spend all that time watching TV. We can maybe carve out a little or something. But let's talk about... um, talking about the Bible and talking about the God seal or the beast mark. We're looking at the Old Testament times. We're now on the Sunday lesson. There were two outward identifiers of God's true people in the Old Testament. One of them was circumcision. That was visible only to the people you're intimate with, uh, including non-Jews, cult (laughs) cult prostitutes, whatever. Somebody who got intimate with you could see that you were different. But the Sabbath was the second one, and everybody can see that. And so those were the two identifiers. So looking at circumcision, first, it began with Abraham. Genesis 17 said it was started as a sign of a covenant between God and Abraham. It wasn't the actual covenant. It was a sign of a covenant. The covenant was about that he would be their God. They would be his people. He would give them an everlasting Uh, inheritance, land, that they would be safe and happy on. Um, Circumcision. In the New Testament, uh, Paul gives us, uh, they had already developed a newer perspective on circumcision. Uh, Romans, Paul had a lot to say about it. Romans 2, 28 and 29 said, A man is not a Jew if he's only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical, No, a man is a Jew if he's one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the spirit, not the written code. Uh, Circumcision of males on the eighth day of life was a covenant sign of the covenant of salvation. It was meant to symbolize the need for renewal of the heart. In 1 Corinthians 7.19, Paul again said, Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Yes, Wendell. That first sentence there in the first paragraph about covenant of salvation probably wasn't a covenant of salvation. It was, a co- it was part of the covenant of agreement for a special people with their God. Mm-hmm. Salvation 
maybe was part of that for those individuals, but, but salvation was apart from circumcision even then. Maybe circumcision of the heart in the New Testament is part of the salvation, but in the Old Testament you can think of many people, not many, but illustrations of people who were saved outside of circumcision. True. You know, and so it was a sign of their covenant mm-hmm. and their union, and, their, and they were special people doing special things for God, but it was separate from salvation. Yeah, I think we lose track so easily. In fact, when you look at the Israelites, almost everything they did got to be routine for them. It was just something you did. Today is very tempting. I I know a lot of lovely Jewish individuals, a lot of whom don't really know why they do a lot of stuff. It's a cultural thing. And yes. In agreement with this brother, let's also point out that the child is eight days old. The child is hardly going to make a salvation decision at eight days old. So, um, in agreement, it is it is makes you a part of a community, yes. but it is not a salvation thing. It makes you it identifies you as part of a certain peoples. That's right. Well, if we go back to the theater experience that we believe the Old Testament, particularly the Israelites, were acting out in a play, their major role was to be set apart and different from the idolaters and the heathen people around them. I mean, everything about what God instructed them to do was to make them different and hopefully attractive because they were so different. Yeah. And yet how easy it is for things to get a a, a cultural thing you do instead of any meaning behind anything it's very easy to in our case maybe the seventh day sabbath we'll be touching base on that a little bit here in that it's easy to just show up and forget the importance of why we were even why this is even important because that's why that's one of the things i really wanted to talk to today many of you had have heard tim say you keeping the sabbath won't save you for example how many believe that you would have to keep the Seventh-day Sabbath to be saved? Nobody? Nobody. Nobody. Look at, look at the people who took Jesus off the cross and then hurried home to worship the Creator who they just killed. Was that going to save them? No, they kind of lost the value of the Sabbath. It was just something you did, a cultural experience. And not, when I talk with people, sometimes they, I say, why do we even keep, why do we have Halloween? You know, why do we have all the Easter? Why do we have the different things that we do? It's a cultural experience. We may not even know the, re, the origins might be pagan or the origins might be Jewish or whatever, but we celebrate it because it's a cultural thing. And a lot of times religion becomes a cultural thing. Our Sabbath is still a gift from God, and God didn't mean it to be a cultural thing. Exactly. And it enhances our relationship with Him and might make a difference in whether we're saved or not, whether we take time for God or not. Right, and we're going we're gonna to get into that. My personal opinion is that keeping the Sabbath doesn't save you, but keeping the Sabbath can keep you connected to God in a Amen. special way. And that can save you. <laughs> so it's a tool, more or less. But I just, don't, I just don't want us to get cultural about it. And I think we are, but I'd like it not to be. 
I'd like us to really have an experience with the Lord today. I'd like us to always have an experience with the Lord, but particularly on his day. So the the lesson goes on about the circumcision being a number of, in my notes. You'll, if you go online, you'll see the notes. There's more um, texts that talk about the circumcision, how it's a renewal of the heart. We don't want to worship the day. We want to worship the creator. That's right. So what does the creator say? Uh, they, in, the other sign was the Sabbath. And so that began at creation, though. And... And it has never changed, and it never will. The odd thing is you'll find texts in, the, in the Isaiah 66 that say, in the, new wor- in the new earth, we'll be keeping the Sabbath still. So the Sabbath became at creation, began, he blessed the seventh day, made it holy, Genesis 2, because on it he rested from the work of creating that he had done. Isaiah I'm just backing this up, what I just said with things. Isaiah 58, 13 and 14 says, If you, that would mean us, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath, from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight, the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way, not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then the result will be you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to rise on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. And in Hebrews 4, 9, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. In Isaiah 66, as I said, uh, as the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so will your name and descendants endure from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another. All mankind will come and bow down before me, says the Lord. That's referring to the new earth. There's only, there's no really solar reason or moon reason why we should even have a seven-day week. <laughs> the only reason we have a seven-day week is because God said to We have a reason for the day, you know, earth rotating itself. We have a reason for the year, the earth going around the sun. We we don't have a reason for seven days. Anyone can think of a reason why we have a seven-day week, other than God said seven days? It is not an arbitrary set-up design, though. It is a hearkening back, a reminder, and a special time to be with, with your God. And so in that regard, it's more than just, he said it. It's, it's a memorial of creation and of him as a creator. Right. Very true. I'm just, basically, I should have been clearer and saved that I meant outside the Bible. <laughs> you can't find why we would have a seven-day week. But inside the Bible is where we're going to be looking today. I'm going to skip just a minute here. I know the uh, Monday is the beast and false worship um, and basically under that, what I gleaned was that um, basically the three angels' message of Revelation 14 separates humanity in two groups. You know, when you read through the Bible, there's only two groups. <laughs> no matter what religion you belong to, you're either sheep, the goats, the good, the bad, the righteous, the unrighteous, the saved, the unsaved. You're one or the other. No matter what group you're in, you're only two groups, sheep, goats. You're one of two. Your choice. 
Those who worship the Creator by keeping all of His commandments, including the Seventh-day command, and those who worship the Creator. Um, that was out of the lesson study. Anyway, I'm going to skip basically to, um, because I think we mostly know that God, you know, Genesis said God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Then we have the Ten Commandments, wherein God reiterated the Sabbath as important. And it's so funny to me that the only commandment out of Ten Commandments, the only one that says remember, remember, remember this, is the only one that we have a question with. The only one we have, we don't have a problem with people, don't kill, don't murder, don't commit adultery, understand all that. We don't get that God particularly says, remember this for a reason. Maybe there is a reason we should look into it. So I'm going to go to lesson Tuesday, the seal of God, which I, um, did anybody watch the royal wedding of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle? Not very many hands. But I really appreciated that the woman who gave the, uh, the what do you call it, scripture reading during the service, who was Princess Diana's sister, older sister, I think. Mm-hmm. She read out of the Song of Solomon. And she read two parts of it, and I'm going to just focus on one part. Because I think this has a lot to do with our lesson today, but you wouldn't expect to find it in Song of Solomon. Solomon 8, 6 and 7. Place me as a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. Its jealousy unyielding is the grave. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot wash it away. If one were to give all the wealth of his house for love... It would be utterly scorned. And I found that particularly pertinent since they're such a wealthy family (laughs) that she's marrying into. That love is much more valuable than any wealth could ever be. And I really appreciated them picking this particular verse because it is one place that talks about a seal. So when you think of a seal, besides the animal, we're going with the seal more like a banner. <laughs> what do you think of when you think of a seal? A lock. A lock? Yeah. Like the seal on the tomb of Jesus? Yeah. Anything that, I mean, they didn't have locks then, with, or, the, you know, they couldn't put it on the tomb, but if the seal is there, and if it's broken, you know that it's... Somebody's been, been used. there. You know, same thing First. with a letter. It seems like a lock to me. Yeah. Anybody else? Personal identification. Yes. Seal of the United States, the president. Yeah. Sign of authority. In other Sign of authority, yeah. The seal protects what is inside of it. And to me, the Sabbath is a protect protection for us. Mm-hmm. God gave it to us. He, he said man is not made for the Sabbath. Sabbath is made for man. And so that seal is a gift. What's inside is precious. Yes, I totally agree. Yes. Um, nowadays, uh, with electronic mail and stuff, you can sign your email so that someone knows that it really came from you. You can also like encrypt it so that they know that it's really what. So encrypting would also would be kind of a seal for today. Yeah. 
if you aren't privy to it, you aren't you can't get in there. <laughs> you know, Revelation talks about the seal, who can open the seal. And you know, in Revelation talks about who is worthy to open the seal. Anyone familiar with that? In shipping and in transportation, it's a discrete seal. It's got a specific identification. We have a whole box of seals that work, but when we attach it and assign it to a specific load, now that seal can't be changed. Uh, It's discrete for that load. That that may be also an element of what God did. He he created it special. Yes, all, all excellent, excellent. To ensure correct authorship, what I had, and protection to ensure no changes have been made. To indicate completion, I have completed this, it's sealed, it's done, you know. And maybe the seal of God has something to do with being done. <laughs> you have, you are in such close relationship, no one could tear you away. No one could tear you away or change your mind. Yeah. That just made me think of another application that I just thought of now, so it may not be correct, but... Man, back in the days, I used to use sealing wax and seal my envelopes. I thought it was so. It adds beauty and love as well, mm-hmm. because it was like just this little extra thing to make it special for the person mm-hmm. I sent it to. Yeah, they had those little sealing things that you pushed on the on the warm wax. Yeah, it smelled good. <laughs> those were the days. <laughs> we're not dating ourselves, are we? <laughs> the seal also indicates what's important on the inside Uh, even though you might see evidences of the authority or the seal of the president whatever it it still indicates the importance of what's inside and so i would go so far as to say that the seal is a settling into the truth and as those principles as i settle into those that's where that seal then comes from that sort of impress that she was talking about happens in you. You change. I like what Jesus said. It's better if I go. So I go, I'll send the Spirit. And he'll take what's mine and give it to you for free. If we were thinking about the medical analogy, for example, in the Old Testament, if someone had leprosy, but then they were cured, and then they had to go to the priest, and the priest sort of certified that they were um, cured, Nowadays, you could imagine someone in the hospital and they get discharge papers that show that they can come out. It's sort of like the healing has been completed. Kind of a certification. Again, in in terms of professional, you know, we look for somebody's seal of professional ability. (laughs) You know, are you going to a doctor that actually has a sealed completion thing going on there? Are you going to some kind of a quack? (laughs) You know, so a seal can have a lot of different meanings. And in you know, in the relationship to the seal of God at the end. And it's why I'm really choosing to focus more on that than the mark of the beast, because is it in your hand or is it in your brain? Is it actually in your brain or the acts you do? You know, whatever. You're on the wrong track, whichever way. You're on the wrong track. You're, you're not going with God. You're going against God, although some will feel like they are. It's important more to know the genuine article. What is a seal, I think? That's, I think everybody is aiming to go that way, so we need to know more about that. Yeah, Wendell. Um, Going more on the medical thing that he just mentioned, um, if someone has a very contagious or threatening disease that is very difficult to eradicate, 
they are often quarantined to the point where they are not allowed to be exposed to the remainder of the world. Once they are declared safe, they are given a seal, in essence, that they are able to go out and mingle with the uncontaminated. That's interesting. I know what Typhoid Mary, for example, she was forbidden to go around people because she would be their cook and she'd kill the whole family. And so they said, don't go around. Well, she didn't have any other way of making money, so she'd go to another family somewhere else and start being their cook and kill all them. So they, they finally, she didn't succumb to the disease, she just carried it. And, uh, and she knew it. She was still going to other places and still infecting people. And uh, so eventually they had to quarantine her on... Was it Ellis Island or someplace in New York, an island, anyway, forget the exact island, where she could never leave. She was quarantined there because she would not do right <laughs> by people. That was a, a different way of sealing, you know, the, some way that you'll, you'll just have to be stuck there forever because you're not good for other people and you don't care about them. And I think this is similar to when we talk about our righteousness are we declared righteous even though we're not or are we made righteous and then declared righteous because we are so the person that's that's given the seal and is then free to mingle with other people they're not free to mingle with other people because they were given the seal they were given the seal because they are now free to mingle with other people so it's not an external pronouncement or declaration it's just a reflection of reality of what what is just like I think our records in heaven are not going to be a declaration or necessarily a recording of events. They're just going to be a picture of the actual changes in our character. And wouldn't you rather it be that way? Who wants somebody just saying, you're fine and you know good and well, you've got addictions, you've got obsessions, you've got, you know, sin, you, you repeat things you do, you know, you're not fine. And yet, People say, oh, you're just fine. I would rather somebody come in and fix me. I don't want to carry something around like Typhoid Mary and kill off people or endanger their spiritual life or whatever. I would rather be fixed than pronounced fixed. The seal is also only as good as the sealer because how many of us have gotten junk mail with these official looking (laughs) certificates? You have won, you know, embossed gold. You lie. And now it's phone calls constantly on top of that. Let me read something from Ellen White. The, uh, one of the founders of our church wrote um, in uh, Manuscript 14 in 1901. She wrote, By keeping his Sabbath holy, we are to show that we are his people. His word declares a Sabbath to be a sign by which we distinguish him, uh, uh, him as their creator. Those who keep the law of God will be one with him in the great controversy. So I just want to tell you a little bit about my experience more recently this year, I guess. When I was studying the Bible, a thought came to me to link two things together that I would have never previously thought of linking. And that is creation on one end of the link, where God uses extreme power to create the earth. If we can take a dinky amount of material and create an atom bomb of worth of energy from it imagine how much energy it must have taken to create this or the universe for that matter but let's just look at this imagine how much energy it would take to convert to matter things that aren't existing 
So here's six days worth of wild expenditure of energy. And what does God do with it? Does he say, see my energy, see my power, worship me? It's one thing God can't get by demanding is your trust, your love, your loyalty. He can't get that that way. So he didn't try to get it that way. He gave us a Sabbath, one of the things that the Sabbath is valuable for. And on the seventh day, after six days of all this energy expenditure, he created a day to think about it. Think about how I use my power. I don't use it to destroy. I use it to create. Look at the intricacies. I'm a nurse, so I'm, I think people come to me all the, with evolutionary things, and I said, I, I don't have enough faith to believe in that. I simply don't have enough faith. We have three forms of flight on this earth. It's an astronomical, astronomic, mathematic impossibility for three forms of flight to develop on one planet all by themselves. Even if it didn't have the second law of thermodynamics, which in my house goes from everything tends to go to, from order to disorder. So I can prove that in my own house. <laughs> but, yeah, I think everybody's familiar with that. So that's kind of the way the universe runs. All things go from order to disorder. Well, they don't go the other way around normally, but that's what you're expected to believe when you believe that everything sort of created itself. Everything was general and it became more and more complex. That's kind of the whole opposite. I don't have enough faith to believe that, but if you take a specific, like the three forms of flight, can you imagine the mathematic improbability of that happening? We have birds with hollow bones and feathers, one form. We have mammals with solid bones and furs, two. We have insects with little gossamer wings and twig-like legs. Three separate forms of flight have developed, have, are here. And uh, you could go on and on. The intricacies of the body. You know, when a baby's born, it can't tolerate milk. So the mother doesn't give it milk. The mother gives it colostrum, which is what the baby can take. And it feeds it a lot of antibodies from the mother and nutrition, but it's in a form the baby can take. And as the baby gets a little bit older in a few days, it can handle milk. And then the mother converts to milk when the baby can handle it. Imagine the complexity. I mean, you can repeat that over and over and over and over again and the complexities that were barely scratching the surface of understanding. So we have this amazing creation to think about. Sabbath, you can get away from everything and think about that. Think about how God has created us, how God, has, the, the intricacies of this earth. The creator, is he somebody worthy of your honor? Is he somebody worthy to unlock the seal? In the Bible, in the, New, in the Revelation, it says that the elders, who are people that are already in heaven, I would assume Moses and Elijah, etc., Enoch, are one of the 24 elders, or they're some of the 24 elders. When the beings around God say, holy, 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 the elders say, worthy is, you know, uh, I have it written here, I'm just trying to, wing it, but in any event, saying worthy uh, to receive honor and glory and power and so on, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive all that. You, God has shown over and over again his worthiness for our trust, our love, our loyalty. So the connecting part, that's one connecting part, the Sabbath as a day to reflect on God's use of power. Another example of God's use of power is cut to 
the New Testament in John, when you'll remember at the Last Supper, we always go to the one that says, and Jesus knelt down and washed their feet. What we forget to see, what we forget to read, is the verse just before it, when it says, and Jesus, knowing the Father had given him all power, took off his outer garment, wrapped around a towel, and washed his disciples' feet. Though I think the verse before it is very important to be linked with that because this is what... Jesus was the creator. Do we know that? Does anybody have a question about that? John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and, and so on. And then also a little bit in the next chapter or two, he says, basically, Jesus is the Word. So what, we're, what the Bible is saying, Jesus is the version of God we have seen that was the creator of the earth and us. So here is this creator, same God of the first six days of creation and the seventh Sabbath. Here is this same God realizing all power had been given to him. What does he do with that power? He kneels down and washes the feet of people, 12 people. Not just Judas, but every single one of those disciples is either going to betray him or deny him or reject him. Every single one that very day is going to pull away from him. And he knows it. And yet he will bend down and the God of the universe who created this big universe. And we can currently see galaxies 13 and 14 billion light years away. I have no concept of how far light can travel in 13 or 14 billion years. But I think that's a long, long way. He made a huge, a vast universe. This God who made all that is now kneeling at his disciples' feet and washing them. Every one of them is going to betray him or deny him that day. Every single one. And he knows it. Now, so how that links to creation is, here you have the creator, all-powerful, doing what with that power? He is allowing you a chance to consider it and use your own thinking like we're trying to do here. He actually serves. He, he said, I come as one who serves. Um, and the actual quotes, the text for these will be in my notes online. But he said, I come as one who serves. And I don't know if any of you have watched Downton Abbey. But Downton Abbey is a, you know, a timepiece period TV thing where you have this aristocratic family and all of its servants. And you saw on both sides of the coin what was happening. And when I thought, I come as one who serves, somehow I thought of Carson or one of the other servants. They're up early. They're up late. They're scurrying around the whole pal- the whole big castle or whatever it was, huge mansion, and um, fixing the fires and cooking the food and doing the laundry and everything just so the aristocratic family can live the lifestyle they live. If you compare that to Christian life, and if you compare Jesus saying, I, I come as one who serves, it's kind of like he's saying our life is so important to him that he would be Carson <laughs> to us. He would be the footman. He would be the valet. He would be everything for us to make our lives possible, to allow us to understand him, come into a relationship, 
to clear out the mess in our closets, to right the wrong wiring in our brains. I really believe that when you study the Bible, that, that influence of all the word, the, what's spoken about God, actually is, with the Holy Spirit's help, is actually rewiring you, making your, getting rid of things that are hard and bad and, getting, and putting in the things that are good. Um, but when you think of, I, I come as one who serves. This master of a vast universe serves us. When you put those two together in a, in a link, and, and there's many other examples in the Bible, I'm just picking those two major links. Can you not say, this is somebody I could love? This is somebody I could appreciate? I could trust? I could be loyal to? You know, if I wear a wedding ring. Not everybody does, but I do. And let's talk about a wedding ring for a second. Now, a wedding ring reminds me that I'm married to the one to Ken, and hopefully other people reminds them I'm married <laughs> too. But what if I put on his ring and got married and then ran around with everybody, with, you know, or anybody else? Would I not be considered disloyal? You know, I've taken his name. Does that mean I would be taking his name in vain, as the Bible says? The second commandment in in the Ten Commandments, don't take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. That doesn't just mean cursing. That means don't say you're God's person when you aren't God's person. You can do more damage saying you are than, you know, than if you're just flat out against God altogether openly. You can do more damage that way. I could do more damage by being, saying I'm his wife and faithful and not being faithful, you know. So, I think God did a genius thing. He didn't give us all rings, although he talks about rings and your signet ring and all that kind of thing. He gave us the genius day and time. And I think it's genius because everyone has equal access to a day and time. It doesn't cost anybody anything more or less. Everybody can afford it. It's free. It just happens. It's a day and time. He picked that as a sign a sign of our relationship. This ring is not my relationship with Ken. It's a sign that I'm related to him. Bible talks about the Sabbath as being a sign. And what is it a sign of? The creator is my God. This is my God. I've waited for him and he will save me. Amen. This is my God. I also like to think of the Sabbath as a reflection of creation absolutely and also a reflection of how he wants to recreate in me a new heart and he gives me that recreate that creation relationship back then and now okay what he wants to do mm-hmm. he can use that same power that he created the world in to recreate a new heart in me. And you're, you're right on target with my notes. Because <laughs> um, I wanted to touch base on looking at the miracles God did on Sabbath. All of this is in, in trying to help you get a better picture of maybe what gift is in that box of Sabbath. Look at the miracles God did on Sabbath, Jesus did on Sabbath. He could have healed everybody in sight. He could have healed nobody at all. He could have healed, you know, but he picked one person on the Sabbath 
on purpose. And I believe that part of that is to, for us to really think about the miracles he did on Sabbath and see if they don't tell us about what he intends the Sabbath to do for us. So, in Luke 6, 1-11, to talks about the man with the shriveled hand that was restored. And Jesus makes a comment to the Pharisees who are all upset that he's doing this on Sabbath, of course. Basically summarizing it's good to do good on Sabbath. Good to do good to save a life. Luke thirteen, ten to sixteen, a woman crippled for eighteen years. He compared it to the people who were questioning him healing her on Sabbath, compared to untying a donkey and giving it water, setting it free from bondage. Luke fourteen, one to six, a man suffering from dropsy in the house of a prominent Pharisee. Jesus compared that to pulling a trapped son or animal. Out of a well, somebody trapped, freed. John 5, a man paralyzed for 38 years. Jesus says about that, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He has crossed over from death to life. And if you've ever dealt with paralyzed people, as I have in my nursing experience, none of them wishes to not be able to walk not be able to use their whole entire body in some instances. To be unparalyzed on the Sabbath after 38 years of being paralyzed. Can you imagine the man's delight? Can you think of these in spiritual terms? Can we be paralyzed spiritually? Can we be trapped spiritually? Can we be suffering? Can we be victimized can we be dying spiritually these were done on the sabbath to tell us what sabbath he will do for you on sabbath yeah Wendell. just imagining the gentleman that was sick for 38 years after he got up you know you can just imagine the bounce in his step and how he was truly dancing in malachi and talking about the earth made new it compares us to calves let out of a stall. Anyone who's ever dealt with uh, small farms or whatever and had and been able to have that privilege of opening the gate for the calves to get out, that's truly a dance, you know, and um, that's something to look forward to. And the older you get, the more we appreciate it. <laughs> when we get up from sitting for a while and you feel like a pretzel, <laughs> you know, <laughs> You know, it's hard to almost remember the days when you could leap over things and not not worry, not watch your step every step of the way, you know. Uh, it's just a, and I think there's a spiritual analogy to these. But think, too, of the one where he, there was a guy with his, uh, who was blind from birth. You remember that? The Jews were saying, the leaders were saying, you know, since they couldn't get Jesus to stop doing miracles, they tried to get the people to stop going to him to be healed on Sabbath. They say, don't do that or we'll excommunicate you or whatever. Well, he found this guy that was blind from birth, which means, if, for those who are not medical, which means that not only could he not see ever, but the part of his brain that would have interpreted what he saw, if he was able to see, would be gone. The body just gets rid of what you don't need. Just sit on your couch for a couple of months and see what happens to your muscles. You know, the, the body gets rid of what you don't use. 
Well, in this guy's case, he was not only blind, but his whole part of his brain was missing that ability to see. So when Jesus, I think he did a little miniature creation here. Because I always wondered, why on earth would he just heal people with a word here, touch there? Why on earth would he spit in dirt, make mud, and put it on this guy's eyes? That's a weird way to heal somebody. One a Kind of a unique way, you don't normally see him do that. And then I realized it's a little miniature creation. Imagine God in creation, the day man was created, putting his DNA into dirt, because we are formed after him, and making us. Well, in this guy, he puts his DNA into the dirt, symbolically. Now he's putting it on the guy's eyes. Well, not only did it heal his eyes, but it, it recreated his brain. It recreated his brain to be able to see. And so you see the God of creation, the God of recreation, the God of forgiveness, the God of humbleness, of servanthood, the God who asks us to be like him. And then he asks you to take his seal. You know, in his case, uh, he says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. I have special gifts. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It was for you. It's a gift for you. Joel. I think a lot of times people view Sabbath as their opportunity to escape from reality. But really, it's the opposite. Because we know God has foreknowledge. And the Sabbath was designed to be a special celebration and blessing in perfection. But he knew what was going to happen. And don't you think he knew we really needed the Sabbath? Because instead of escaping reality, if we really understand, the more we understand what the Sabbath really is, it brings us back to reality from living in what really isn't reality. And the devil's super good at that. He finds every kind of way of attracting our attention to other things, sports, TV, even, you know, for those of of you, not me, who are super into racing and all that kind of thing. My daughter's about to do a triathlon. (laughs) Like, you go. (laughs) But, um, you know, for those of us who are not, who are not that way, For those who um, we need all the help we can get to heal, to get in line with what God has in mind. Uh, I, you know, the older I get, the more I realize Sabbath is a relief from work. I I would be a workaholic. I would probably work 24-7 or if I could, you know, unless I was told don't work or feel guilty. (laughs) You know, that's the way I started thinking about it. It's a guilt-free day of not working. Because somebody said, don't work. You know, it's wrong to work. So uh, I've, uh, that was my initial feelings about the Sabbath. What a relief. And as I got older, it was more like, I'm just so tired. <laughs> I need the Sabbath. Whew. It wasn't until more later years when I realized it isn't all about you and about kind of, it is trying to pull you out of this array of devices and and opportunities the devil has put in front of us to enjoy those other things more than him. It is an opportunity to be pulled back to reality. I appreciate that, Joel. It's a good way of looking at it. 
Uh, another quote from Ellen White uh, in The Great Controversy. Page 605 says, The keeping of the true Sabbath in obedience to God's law is an evidence of loyalty to the Creator, while one class, by accepting the sign of submission to earthly powers, receives the mark of the beast. The other, choosing the token of allegiance to divine authority, receives the seal of God. So she makes it pretty simple. You're one of the two. You either go one route or you go the other, just like the Bible says. There's no third chance. I thought, well, sitting on the fence, isn't that another third choice? But really, there's no sitting on the fence. God says in in Revelation, you're lukewarm to to the Laodiceans. I wish you were hot or cold. As you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. So you see that there's no sitting on the fence. And then when we're talking about the end of time, are we really talking about some future date? I know um, the Jews, they, they keep a date since, the count, since creation. This is year 5,778, <laughs> um, which means 222 years till year 6,000. Ellen White's repeatedly saying, for 6,000 years, Satan has had his way, and then a 1,000 years millennium. Well, but I'm not going to be li- alive 222 years from now, probably. You won't be either. So when is our end of time? And, and, God, and uh, he will, I think God will come before that, because things, my personal philosophy, and this is just me, saying that I believe God will wait till we're just on the brink of killing ourselves off. Because if you stepped in too soon, people would say, Satan would say, if you had just given me a little more time, I would have pulled it together. I could pull it together. Well, at the point when we are at extinction, you can't be pulled together. There's no, that's not an accusation you can lay. He has to prove to, God has to prove to everybody that sin kills you, not God. Sin destroys the wages of sin is death left with sin we would all die 100 percent of the time under any circumstance and so you can't say that uh, that god kills us because we kill ourselves and i think he comes in just when we're about to do that to prove the point that we would have we would have killed ourselves so here he is swooping in at the last minute 222 years from now or less. But every day when I read the signs on Tennessee highways, it says, you know, this year, towards the end of the year, it'll say uh, almost 979 people have been killed on Tennessee freeways, you know, this year. Every year, just in Tennessee, just on the roads. How many people have died? That morning they got up thinking they had a plan. Their plan was not to die that day. But they did. We could leave from here. We could be killed. So when is the end of time? Really. You can know the timetables, but when is your end of time? You know, um, I might be running out of time. I, I am, it's like 18 after maybe, just a couple more minutes. Anyway, I see a lot of surprised people at the end of time. We're talking about the seals. There are people who think, they're on God's side, but apparently at the end of time, they'll be surprised. Surprise! Matthew seven twenty one to 23 describes people telling God at the end of time what they did for him in his name. And what were they told by God? Get away from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. 
I think it's his way of saying, you never knew me, because obviously he knows us pretty, pretty well. These people claim to be Christians, because it says in his name. They claim to be doing all these things, wonderful things, healing and casting out demons, everything. Probably saving people. Even Paul says, I've got to watch myself, lest I work for everybody else to get them there, and then I lose that at the end. There's no one that's, you know, we all have to have that relationship with God. Not that we should feel insecure about salvation, but that we shouldn't also feel like we could drift. Maybe it won't help to, it won't hurt to drift a week or so. I'll get to it. I'll study my Bible someday. I'll get to know better, God better someday. But really, the Bible says today. Today is the day. You know, um... Matthew seven twenty one to 23 describes the wise and foolish builders. This comes right after what I was just talking about. Build on the rock. That's a metaphor, not on sand. The only way you'll survive the storms that are coming are, is by building on the rock, who we know is Jesus Christ. Build your life around it. It's like plan your exercise, plan your study. Do what's good for other people, because also one of the things that people are told at the end was, you know, when you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. And the people go, when did we ever do it for you? And he said, when you did it to the least of these, you did it for me. And other people will say, you didn't do this for me. And they say, when didn't we do it for you? When you didn't do it to the least of these. And who are the least? Are they coworkers? Are they your children? Are they your pets? It doesn't say the least people. It says the least, who you, most people consider the least valuable. God watches how we treat everyone and everything. He's trying to infill us with his love. He's trying to get us ready to be uh, able to be in his presence and not have find him toxic. <laughs> the Bible calls God a burning fire. Who can stand in his presence? Isaiah 33 says, the righteous. Just the righteous. And, and I though Tim has brought up sometimes could it be that the eternally burning fire that people are warned against is actually the presence of God where the righteous can stand like the three Hebrews, but the unrighteous can't? Like the guys who threw them in? <laughs> so here we are. The end of all things has come. This is the end of all time. We are right down in the toenails of time. And I encourage each and every one to read your Bibles talk to God do good things he can it's wonderful to have him do work for others through you it's the most exciting fun thing when you pray Lord use me any way you want bring people to me tell me what to say show me what to do I'm happy to do it that it if he doesn't answer that prayer every time yes you need to know that it's never too late to do that it's never too late absolutely because right my husband was quite a bit older than I and he did not give his heart to the Lord until about a year before he died. But he prayed this prayer, and I heard him say, God, use me. And I thought, wow, what a prayer to pray when you're at the end of your life. But God has miraculously done that. Yes. Um, there's a wonderful story about that, but it's also... His story is being told to people, and they in turn are getting encouraged that don't give up. Don't give up on people you think are not going to make it. Keep praying, keep trusting, and it's never too late to, to be used by God. That's right. 
I always think, you know, the thief on the cross, you think of him, and by that was the last minute, if there ever was one. It's not wise to wait till that last minute, because you may not be in charge of that at the time. But when you have a thief on the cross, what was the, that took him from being a thief to being perfect? Because the Bible says, be ye perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect. And how do we do that? What is perfection? I think we don't understand that well enough. Perfection may be just the, the difference between turning away from God and turning toward him. If you're turning toward him, you're open to everything he brings you. You're accepting, you're trusting, you're, you're taking the medicine that he created by dying for us. He offers us free. Turn from this, turn to God, be at the last minute, but make it now, I encourage you. Did you want to say something? Be perfectly submitted. Be perfectly submitted. I think we have a, like a, maybe a wrong idea of what that perfection is. Perfectly submit. And here's the guy on the cross. Wrong life. But the last minute, they, they were both reviling Christ at the beginning. The one guy sees the way Christ behaves and says, remember me in your kingdom. And Jesus said, today, um, I will, you will be with me in paradise. So I pray that for each and every one of us. Please don't put, let another day go by. Keep on getting closer and closer to God every day and be sealed. Accept his seal on your heart. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for being with us today. Lead each one of us to love you and understand and appreciate you more. Help us to trust you utterly because you are the only trustworthy being in the entire universe that can save us. We can't. We're not trustworthy even to our own selves. You're really the only one we can trust, and we do. We want to trust and love you more. And then we want to be used by you to help others find their way as well, not have our salvation be a selfish salvation, but have our salvation be unselfish, a river of life, not a lake of life. But let that flow through us to other people. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen.